what I learned at a campfire chat on this episode of Pushback. If you're concerned about the direction our culture is heading, then maybe it's time to push back. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pushback. I'm Dr. Johnny coming to you again this week, uh, and so grateful that you've tuned in to hear uh, another hopefully wonderful topic that we can discuss as ambassadors of heaven here on this earth. I almost feel like I need to apologize a little bit for last week's podcast because I just vented. It was, you know, uh, very political and, uh, but I have to admit there's just a frustration sometimes when something is done uh, so overtly uh, as a political ploy uh, as this um college tuition reimbursement plan by Dr. By Dr. Biden, by President Biden. Uh, and uh, I, I just feel like there is no benefit to anyone uh, except for buying votes. And it frustrated me and I just needed to vent. So thank you for hearing me out in that. Um, and I hopefully you share the same viewpoint that I have on that. And we'll see what comes uh, of that as we go forward as well. So I'm a little bit calmer this week, so that's good. Uh, my family and I, uh, over Labor Day weekend, we went camping. And when I say camping, I mean like we really went camping. Like we haven't done that in years where we actually had a campsite up at Chippewa National Forest and there was no electricity and we were disconnected and we actually slept in tents. Um, I did, however, bring an air mattress. So I can't say, there's probably some of you that are already scoffing, like that's not really camping. Um, but for me, you know, it was <laughs> it was camping. And we had a spectacular time just disconnecting and being out in the woods. And there was a beautiful lake there. And, uh, you know, it wasn't a super warm Labor Day weekend, uh, but that never affects children. Our kids were in the lake and playing. And on the, one of the warmer days, I actually went in the lake as well and, and uh, threw the Frisbee around and played with the kids. And we had a spectacular time. And it's interesting how just getting away uh, and without a huge agenda, um, you know, the Claussen family typically runs on agendas. And that's probably my fault uh, because I'm the itinerary guy. And so we tend to pack things in when we go on vacations. Uh, we try to, I guess, extract uh, the most we can out of the experience of where we are, sometimes to a fault. And so it was good for us, I believe, to just sort of be. And we spent really the majority of the time sitting around the campfire. And there is something about campfires that just makes you engage, it makes you connect. Uh, it makes you sort of a captive audience, maybe, uh, where we can just simply share our hearts. And we had moments uh, in this 
getaway where we were able just to sit down as a family and just talk. Most of our kids at one point were kind of there and were able to share our lives and our hearts and also just do a lot of laughing and storytelling. And and there's something about a campfire that just brings all of that out. And uh, what a privilege it was to be able to share that with our family. There was many different conversations that came up and many different things that I feel like I learned from my own family sitting around the campfire. I felt re-inspired uh, in a lot of ways as we connected heart to heart. Uh, it was There was something about, you know, we barely even had a charging cord to charge our phones. And so there's that place where we can just sort of put the phones away, look each other in the eye and have real conversations about life, about family, about relationships, about heaven, about why we're here. Uh, there's something about being under the stars, isn't there, where it makes you sort of refocus on the importance of life. Sometimes the stars make us feel small, uh, but I believe that when we see the stars, we see the magnificence of heaven, and it actually focuses us on what we were created to be and to do. So I'm getting a little choked up even talking about that because, you know, I love my Savior. I, I love my father, I love the spirit uh, that lives within me. And um, and really this life is for that. And that's why I do this podcast. Uh, hopefully you feel my passion and my emotion in it because it's so important um, that we do what we are called to do, that we move in what we were meant to move in, that we say what we were meant to say, and that we act like we were told to act. And I believe it's an important place. We actually talked about sacred spaces. If you haven't heard my podcast about cell phones and, and finding those places where we actually are have uh, sacred spaces that we set apart um, and we uh, purpose to not allow a cell phone to rule the day or to create a barrier in our conversation. If you recall on that podcast, if you haven't heard it, uh, there's actually studies that show when you place a cell phone on a table between you and, and another person that you are actually telling them that you are willing to be interrupted. And studies have actually shown that the conversation is much more shallow when a cell phone is visible up on the table than when a cell phone is put away. It's actually fascinating stuff when we talk about human interaction. We talked about uh, the frustration of the church today sitting around and doing nothing uh, and life being sort of a spectator sport where there are those who are running for things of the kingdom and in ministry and the rest of us just cheer them on thinking that we're not a player. And so my daughter actually gave a message at their church uh, in, on that very topic and it was powerful and it was moving and got my attention for sure. But I believe it's interesting that our main conversation around the campfire actually switched to a conversation about the poor and about the impoverished. And it's, it's an interesting tangent that we went on as a family, but I believe it was super powerful and I believe I learned something and sort of reset some of my mindsets as well. Maybe we switched to talking about the poor because we were feeling so rich sitting around the campfire as a family. It's a powerful place to be and it's a powerful place to sit. 
And so maybe that's why the conversation went in that direction. But I, I just want to talk about today how the Bible really couldn't be clearer about our positioning towards the poor, for towards the impoverished people that are all around us. Now, we live in an affluent country, generally speaking, uh, but I will share some statistics with you about even the poor in our own country, in our neighborhood, in our environment. It's interesting that Todd County is the county that I live in, is one of the poorest counties actually in the state of Minnesota. And so we need to have a wake-up call here that there are people that need our help. Proverbs 21, 13, whoever shuts his ears to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be heard. Proverbs 14, 31, whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, capital M, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Like this is big stuff. This is aligning ourselves with heaven when we actually position our hearts towards those who are needy, for those who are poor. Leviticus 25, 35, if any of our fellow Israelites become poor and un unable to support themselves among you, help them as you would a foreigner and a stranger so that they can continue to live among you. Do not take interest or any profit from them, but fear your God so that they may continue to live among you. Deuteronomy 15, 10, give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. Those are big words. Those are big words. I command you to be open-handed, to live with an open hand, with our finances, with our time, living generously. And then, of course, Jesus couldn't have been any clearer about his position. You know the story when it said, I was naked and, and you clothed me and I, I was hungry and you fed me. I was, and you came and you comforted me. And he said, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Let's be super clear. Our our act of generosity toward the poor is actually to Jesus himself. That's what he says. And that raises the bar, doesn't it? That ought to get our attention. It should open our eyes. So we're sitting around the campfire and we're talking about this. And, and of course, we, you know, we share some of our frustrations about, uh, people on welfare and and how the system is being abused and taken advantage of and uh, and how men and women look to children just to get their welfare check instead of actually wanting to have children and we see the pain in the system and the way that's working and 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 we think ah they're they're not really poor they have to qualify better to be poor <laughs> and the bible doesn't really give us that option does it Sometimes that's hard to hear because we think that people who are genuinely poor need our help. Those who are just milking the system don't need our help. And the Bible just says help, just to help. 
Like we should give like the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. That's the attitude of generosity and giving that we should have. We shouldn't look for the qualifications of those who are worthy of our help. No, them just being part of our land, them being in our environment, in our neighborhood, in our realms of influence, that qualifies them for our help. That's what it looks like to live in the kingdom and to be generous givers. You know, there's that expression, give a man a fish and he eats for a day, teach a man to fish and he eats for a lifetime. I think that's a great saying. My concern with it, though, is that sometimes we just need to give them a fish. And sometimes if we look too much for the qualification or the training that they require to get out of their situation, sometimes that paralyzes us. And oftentimes we don't have the time or the resources to teach them to fish. And sometimes they're just hungry. And sometimes they're just poor. And sometimes they just need our help. And so as a wake-up call, even to me and to my finances, we have been blessed financially and and and. We do give, we give generously to our church and to the people who are in ministry, whom we love and are connected with in relationship. But I don't believe that we give well enough to just those who are needy and poor. And following the conversation around the campfire, it was an eye-opening experience for me because I was like, this is kingdom we're talking about. You could feel the spirit on the conversation. And yet here I am right in the middle with extra money in my bank account that I could give. And that I need to give. I need to be open-minded. I've given to causes. I've given to hurricanes. I've given to the Red Cross. I've given to politicians. <laughs> I've given to a lot of different causes. And I do believe that we do live generously. But I was refocused around the campfire to those who are in my sphere of influence, my realm of influence, that might just be hungry and needy. We can't really fathom, I can't really fathom what it's like to truly be hungry. There's moments when I've been hungry, there's moments I've been thirsty, but I was never in fear that I wasn't going to get something to drink or to be fed. That means that I am the one, I am the one that needs to live generously towards those that the Bible have isolated as needy that have isolated as the spirit of Jesus himself. If I saw Jesus in the flesh, I would, and he asked for whatever I had, I would gladly just give it because I see him and he's my savior. But isn't that really what he is asking? Because he said, whatever you do to the least of these, you've done to me. So I want to live more open-handed. There's a term called food vulnerability. And it's, it's, the, it's the definition of being uncertain of where your next meal is going to come from. It's a simple definition. And in Minnesota, we have actually one of the lowest percentages of food vulnerability, right around 10%. But that's still in one in every 10 people in the state of Minnesota is uncertain where their next meal is going to come from. That should be sobering, and I'm sure, I'm, I'm confident that in other countries, it's extremely much higher than that. Louisiana is actually the highest in the United States, and it's at 
40%. So we need to have our eyes open. The, the poor and the impoverished belong to us. And when we see, even like last podcast, I'll try not to go on a rant again. When the government begins to throw money at social problems, it poof, it just disappears because it's not their role. The poor doesn't belong to them. The poor belongs to the church. And we are the ones that need to be the most generous. We need to be the ones that go to the mayor of our cities and say, what can I sow into? What do you see? We don't have to use taxpayers' money. We can use the generosity of the kingdom because of this I am sure of. The kingdom has more than enough resource to meet the needs of the people in your community. And you may say, well, I don't have that much money. But don't you? Don't we? Don't we have access to all of heaven and his kingdom itself? Won't he give us strategy and ways in which we can sow into people and help people financially with our time, with our hearts, with our energy? See, the government feels like they need to move in because of the vulnerable people in our country. I almost can't even really blame them for that because I believe that the church has set down something that was theirs in the first place. The church needs to be on the front line. The church needs to be indispensable in the, the bottom line budget of a community. So generous that the, the mayors and the city council members see that the church is indispensable. That the needy are cared for in a superior way than the government could ever do. Ben Shapiro um, is a very outspoken man about politics and, and culture as well. But he talked about poverty. And he said, you know, we as a country should not be concerned about affluence. Affluence is a byproduct actually of a healthy culture. And of course, the Democratic Party wants to do income redistribution because they're so concerned about affluence. But really, the truth of the matter is, is that we need to be concerned as a society about poverty. That's what needs to pierce our hearts. So when you take a handout like, like tuition reimbursement, guess what? That does not help the impoverished. It's not the impoverished and those living in poverty that have college debt. So it's not even helping the poor of the poor. The government doesn't do it well. I told you I wouldn't rant, so I will try not to. <laughs> but Ben Shapiro has isolated this, and he said there's a 98% chance to not live in poverty if you just do three things. You may have heard this on a previous podcast. He said if you get a high school diploma, you get a job, any job, and you don't have a child out of wedlock. If you do those three things, there is a 90% chance that you will never live in poverty. This is a societal uh, positioning that actually gives strategy to what the government all should, should be pointing all of their firepower towards. If the government focused all of their firepower on children finishing their education, job training, and abstinence, <laughs> I won't hold my breath on that last one, they can 
change the percentage of poverty to only about 2% just by focusing their power there. Not just free handouts and subsidies and, and throwing money into poorer communities. No, get the kids in those communities to graduate from high school. Get the kids in those communities to find a job, any job, and get those kids in those communities to not have a child out of wedlock. If we can focus our attention on those things, then we actually know the facts. There's a 98% chance that everyone in that community would not live in poverty. Hello? That makes perfect sense. That's where the government should be putting their energy towards, towards hard line facts such as this. And it just makes sense. So the government should not throw money at people just to try to create voters. Here I go again. But we, the kingdom of God, we need to be the generous ones. I think we need to start throwing our money around a lot more to people who need it, to just show compassion without strings attached, to just show them the love of Christ, to give them our heart and our time and our energy, to be generous. Generosity is a, is a core value of the kingdom. Why? Because freely we have received, so freely give. Too much have been given, much is required. This is where we live in an affluent society. And we need to focus attention on the ones that Jesus told us to focus attention on. Not looking for them to be qualified to receive our compassion. <laughs> but the ones that we show compassion freely without qualification. That's what Jesus did. That's what he calls us to do. So we had this very conversation around the campfire. And I had tears in my eyes as I was hearing my children say these things. Have a heart for people. Have a heart for those who are around us. For all of us to, to change the mindset as the Clausen family and how we are going to position ourselves towards the world as generous people. And I got to tell you as a dad, it was a highlight. It was probably something I won't soon forget because it was nighttime and it was dark and there was this crackling fire and we had each other's attention and there was a beautiful, cool, crisp night air. And then we got a message from our in-laws that the Northern Lights were being visualized at night. So we finished up this conversation. We grabbed our, our camp chairs and we walked down toward the lake, which was facing north. And we saw the most beautiful, vivid northern lights. We were there maybe for 10 minutes. And all of a sudden, it just erupted. And it only lasted probably seven minutes, eight minutes at the most. But we were there for that. And it was like this cherry on the top of this perfect evening as family. And I just felt like it was a kiss from heaven. It was like a Selah. It was like an amen to everything that we were talking about. And I just believe that there was like a heavenly, like a real Northern Lights heavenly response to our evening. And Amy and I just, we just soaked it in. It was like, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your experience. Thank you for grounding us. Thank you for opening our eyes to your people whom you love. 
Because if we don't do it, who's going to do it? The government doesn't do a good job. We can do much better because we have the generosity of heaven. I encourage you to go to pushbackculture.org, pushbackculture.org, and leave any comments or questions, topics that you would like to have discussed. And I'm so grateful that you're here to hear my heart each and every week. I thank you that my numbers are growing and there's a mom real momentum going on here because you, because you care about our culture and you want strategy, you want real strategy, and I believe that I can help. So spread the news and let's go together now to set and shape the culture. Thank you.